Welcome to Chit Chat and Chai with your host, R.C. Mala and Ritu. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for another episode of Chit Chat and Chai. Today, we're going to discuss another very important topic. And unfortunately, it's got a lot, a lot of stigma behind it, especially in the South Asian community, and that is mental health. Yes, Malat, and there are many mental health disorders, you know, just doing a little research, the most basic ones that everybody hears about, of course, are bipolar disorder, dementia, clinical depression and anxiety disorder. And that's just to name a few. And we hope to address that anyone suffering from a mental disorder, they are not alone. As per some statistics that I got from the CDC, approximately one in five adults will suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. And more than 50% will be diagnosed with a mental disorder at some point in their lifetime. That means it could be any one of us, any one of our loved ones. So we really need to take it seriously and understand more about it. That is so surprising, Ritu, with those numbers. People suffering from mental disorder are still being made to feel an outcast and even more lonelier than they already are. I mean, some of the remarks you hear when they're suffering from depression, like snap out of it, you know, just stop being so negative. Start feeling happy thoughts, you know, the sad feelings will start going away. I mean, what do you have to feel depressed about? You have everything going well for you. You know, lines like that. But, you know, these are just examples of what we as a society tell a person who is depressed. And that person has reached a point that they could endanger their own life or even someone else's life. And it's really sad that we do this. And we're not giving it, you know, um, more awareness or more understanding. Yeah, I was one of those people. Um, just didn't realize like, you know, you think you look at these kids and they're so successful, they earn lots of money, they, they, they're living, they, they look like they're living their life to the fullest. It was a movie that came out 2016, Dear Zindigi, um, yeah. you know, where she has everything going for her, yet she's not happy in life. And I couldn't relate, but then when I watched the movie, it just made me realize that it's such a big stigma in our society that we are not able to express. It was an eye-opening for me to understand that so many issues, like everybody needs help. And um, it was just, it was a very late eye-opening for me. It was a beautiful movie. Definitely mm -hmm. created a lot of awareness. Just like the body has diseases, I mean, mental illness that needs to be treated as well. The brain is just a really fascinating place that it can also be a real place of trouble for someone who is going through a lot of um, inner issues. Yeah. And I'm not an expert, but I would be, um, I think it's safe to say, very deep-rooted issues. Yes. So today on our podcast, we have with us Dr. Sagar Joshi. Welcome, Sagar, to Chit Chat and Chai. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do. Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I think you guys are all doing pretty incredible work. So hey, I'm really happy to be a thank part you. of this. Thank yeah. you. We got a little shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm happy to be part of this pretty important conversation we're having today. Um, so I'm an adult psychiatrist. I'm currently practicing in a community hospital in Brooklyn, New York in integrative care, which means that I'm the consulting psychiatrist who's built into the outpatient specialty clinics in the hospital. Uh, which means I see patients in the geriatric clinic, the oncology clinic, and the adult medicine clinic. So this allows for patients to get quicker access to mental health care. 
And also on top of that, I'm starting a private practice in the next few weeks, uh, focusing on providing psychiatric care to the South Asian community, uh, which has been a dream of mine for some time now. So it's a pretty exciting time for me. Nice. Congratulations. Yes, Thank yes. You. And perfect yeah, for perfect. our chit chat and chai yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's all coming together at the right time. <laughs> so, um, Sagar, how would you define mental disorder? And how does one recognize that someone may be suffering from a mental disorder? Yeah, sure. So, I think when we think about mental illness, we're talking about any sort of health condition that affects our thinking, our emotions, and our behavior. And these changes can cause distress and it can really interfere with our functioning. Like it can impact the way that we're working, the way that we socialize and interact with other people. And there's over 200 different forms of uh, mental illness. Some of the more common ones that we might hear about are depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. And all these disorders present in many different ways. But you know, since depression, anxiety are the most common medical and mental disorders that we hear about, I'm gonna focus on those two. First, you know, it's important to define uh, what depression is from versus, let's say, sadness, right? Because I think one of the most beautiful things about being a human is that we have the capacity to feel all different types of emotions, right? Over the course of the day, we feel joy when we see our kids or we experience sadness when we're disappointed by something or, you know, we feel anxiety when we're doing something new for the first time. Like, you know, me being here on this podcast right now. <laughs> um, so these emotions are pretty short-lived and they usually come and go. And this is very different from, let's say, um, someone who's struggling with depression, because in depression, the feeling is pretty constant and it doesn't just go away. You're feeling sad all the time. You don't really have control over how you're feeling. And this can really interfere with your functioning, right? You might start missing work deadlines, might start neglecting your relationship or your friendships. And sometimes you might engage in poor self-care, like you're not showering or you're not really eating like you normally would eat. And this is usually something family and close, close friends are the first ones to really realize and pick up on, um, that they see that their loved one is facing some sort of, you know, changes or mental health um, issue. Also, one thing I should add, one important thing when we talk about recognizing and picking up on mental illness is that certain populations, especially the South Asian community, are more likely to present with somatic symptoms, which is like headaches, you know, abdominal pain, back pain, rather than pure emotional symptoms like just sadness, um, which can sometimes make it difficult to diagnose and pick up on depression in certain patient populations. Sometimes people feel sad all the time, but they don't show it, right? Like, I mean, I, you hear of someone who may have committed suicide or somebody who's done something very um, dramatic, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that person was depressed. And I'm like, I, would I never saw that. How do you sense that? Or how do you approach someone who you think might be heading in that direction? Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty important question because you always hear about all these people who from the outside look like their life is perfect and they present perfectly well. And then just hear the next week that they might've tried to hurt themselves or you know, they went through some sort of major crisis. Right. I think that's one of the things about mental illness is that it you know presents in many different ways. On the outside, like everything is okay but inside they're really super sort of going through such distress. And, you know, it, it, it's usually friends and family who are the first ones to kind of pick up on those sort of symptoms that I mentioned, where you're noticing that, you know, there's some sort of changes in the way that they are interacting with you, or you might just look at them and see like, it doesn't look like you've been showering or taking care of yourself. Or you might notice that there might be some sort of changes in sort of their routine. 
So these are some sort of the things that um, you can sort of pick up on. In your opinion, Sargo, um, do you think that um, there's a rise in mental disorders? And like, how do you think the COVID pandemic really affected people overall? Um, do you see more people coming to talk about depression and anxiety because of what we've been through in the last couple of years? Yeah, totally. So there's there's definitely been a rise in mental health disorders that's only been exacerbated since the pandemic began. I was just like reading recently, there's like the World Health Organization, organization said that globally, not just in the U.S., but there's been a 25% increase in the amount of depression and anxiety people have been experiencing, which I don't think any of us are too surprised by. And, you know, one of the main contributing factors is social isolation. You know, when the pandemic began, we're all told to start socially distancing from one another. And I think that with that, we were also distancing ourselves emotionally from each other too. It was that sort of lack of interaction with our loved ones, not really engaging with our community like we normally were engaging, um, has had a serious or a detrimental effect on people's mental health. And I think humans by nature, we were pretty social creatures. So if you stop that socialization, you're going to start to see sort of the downhill negative effects of that. And personally, like in my practice, I've seen a significant increase in the amount of patients, meaning the pediatric population that presents in the emergency room and a lot of my geriatric patients as well, who are also the most vulnerable to COVID. And for my jury patients, you know, they weren't able to see their kids or their grandchildren, um, unable to go to their senior center was a major source of like structure for them. While, you know, most people were able to go to work or remotely work at home. So they were still able to maintain their structure. A lot of the, my geriatric patients completely lost that because going to their senior center was a big part of their day. And with that, they started to feel more anxious, depressed because they lost that structure. So that was a pretty hard thing to watch. And one other thing that I wasn't really expecting, but you know, a lot of people lost their loved ones during the pandemic. And usually if someone passes away, you're able to mourn together collectively as a group of your family and friends. With the pandemic, no one was able to get together for funerals or spend time with you know, friends or family who might have experienced a major loss. Here we have this sort of initial wave of you know, sort of the medical COVID problems. I and a lot of my colleagues sort of experienced that sort of mental health wave of issues that patients were going through. So it was a pretty difficult time. We actually have a friend whose um, mom and dad passed away within the year. And she said the hardest part was just not being able to give a, get a hug from someone because that's yeah. all she needed. She had a hard time. Yeah, totally. I lost my grandmother who I grew up with right in the middle of the pandemic, not from COVID, but she was a nursing home and she had some other medical issues and we weren't able to be there. She pretty much raised me. Son, my father also was with me here and it was so distressing. You know, our family's pretty close. We weren't able to mourn together. We're just attending a funeral over Zoom, which is yeah. nothing that I would have ever expected to do. So, you know, we weren't able to mourn together until about a year after when family members came together. And it was, you know, a very complicated time, I think, for, for many families, it sounds like. Just to give you an example, Sagar, my father passed away and he was in India. And oh, my I'm mom, sorry. yeah, and we could not fly out. We weren't there for the funeral. Mm -hmm. And there is no closure. Of course, yeah. Are, my, my sister and I are dealing with that. And it's hard. Yeah. Of so, course, it's, 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 it's terrible. Yeah. And I've had some patients who in New York, when there was an initial surge, they wouldn't release the bodies to the families of their loved ones. So no one was able to, you know, have an actual um, burial. So yes. there's so many different sort of issues related to the pandemic. It's yeah. terrible. I think we're all still, still coping through. and grieving through it. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I just want to break up another thing. I think, you know, COVID pandemic has been a major sort of stressor and sort of it has 
been affecting mental illness. I think another major contributor is sort of just these adverse world events that are going on right now. Just think about the yeah. past two years. We were facing gun violence right now, right? Economic problems. There's a sort of uncertain sort of financial future, housing inequality, you know, racial issues. And all of this is sort of mixed in with a very volatile political climate. So people's fear about the future are really fueling their mental health struggles right now. Okay. And I and yeah, and I see that all the time too. I, I think when uh, not to get very political, but when Trump won the presidency, I had such an increased amount of patients who were coming to see me during that week because they were just so uncertain about the future. And then just a few weeks ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned, again, I saw another spike in patients wanting to come see me because things that are happening in the world have a direct effect on your mental health. I think many people understand that, but it's a very sort of close correlation. Yeah, I can understand yeah. that. I, we uh, talked about that. We were feeling the slump. We didn't feel like celebrating mm -hmm. July 4th. It's like, what are we yeah. celebrating? So you had mentioned, Sagar, that you wanted to specialize in South Asian community. Mm -hmm. um, what, why do you think there's such a big stigma in the South Asian community? It's a really big topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there, there are many reasons behind it. It mainly stems from, I think, a lack of understanding in our community. Um, I don't think people really know what mental illness is. And I could give you an example. So when I was in medical school, so I went to medical school wanting to be a pediatrician. So my whole, everyone thought I was going to be a pediatrician by the time I finished medical school and residency. And then in my third year, I had this sort of epiphany and I just realized I love psychiatry. So I was so drawn to all my psychiatric patients during my third year rotation. So when I told my parents I want to be a psychiatrist, they were just kind of like, are you sure? <laughs> and they're also like, what exactly is a psychiatrist? Because they just assumed that I'm just going to deal with, you know, quote unquote, crazy people all day. Um, so it took a lot of explaining as to the, what are the role of a psychiatrist is and, you know, also what psychiatric disorders are for them to really fully understand what my field is. Because, you know, I think a lot of times there's just sort of thought that mental disorders are just dealing with crazy people. As my, my grandmother still calls it that. She's like, if you're going to hang out with the crazy people all day, you're going to become crazy at some point. Because um, I don't think they understand that, one, that there's a full source spectrum of mental illnesses. You could have depression, anxiety, which I think are just as important and debilitating as someone who's, let's say, going through sort of a bipolar or schizophrenia disorder and partly understand because, you know, a large part of the South Asian community attributes mental illness as to like supernatural causes, right? You hear about like a demonic possession or black magic or the evil eye. Um, so I think it's hard for them to really think of mental illness as a medical disorder. And there's also the stigma, right? There is a sort of fear in discussing mental health issues because Many times people think that they're the only one struggling with their mental health. It's a very isolating experience and they really do suffer in silence. And I, I could speak on that because I, you know, now that, you know, my family and friends know that I'm a psychiatrist, I have family and friends of family reaching out to me um, in secrecy when they found out that I was a psychiatrist because they're not really sure how to get help with what they or a family member are going through. Because one, they don't want their struggles to really come out out of fear of what other people will think of them and sort of the shame that that might be perceived and they also want to protect their family and their from their family and themselves that's why they initially didn't really seek the help but you know it's been nice to be able to help people out who really do need help but also kind of opened up my eyes that you know there's only one of me and all these people who are struggling who are coming to me I wonder how many other people are out there who are struggling and they don't really know who to go to um and that's a very sort of scary thought I mean for me I feel like um it's always like oh we don't need it we're fine Every, everything's fine in our life you know, yeah. but if you, because we just tend to bury our issues 
and we move on. And then yeah. they just keep getting deep, more and more deep rooted and we never solve the problems. So I think that's probably part of the South Asian totally. community. You never want to discuss it. You never want to show it. You just bury it and you move on. Um, and I was just saying it wasn't until recently where I realized that, no, I mean, both my kids have gotten counseling and yeah. they're like big advocates of it. And they keep telling me, mom, even if you don't think you have a problem, you still need to talk to someone. It's just so relieving, you know, like you shed pounds, you need to shed emotional baggage too. That, that's so important. And, you know, I all disclose I was in therapy too, because in training, um, we're strongly encouraged to be on our own therapy because it helps us become a better therapist. Um, and it was an incredible experience. So fortunate, I didn't really struggle with like depression or anxiety disorder per se, but even through just sort of adjustment issues I might have been going through through my life, just talking it out with someone who's not a friend or a family member, you have a different sort of insight, learn so much. And it was an incredible experience. Like, I don't think everyone needs to be in therapy, but I really encourage people to be in therapy. I think it's, it's great. I, I will talk about a little bit about my own self in that I do see a therapist. And I have in the past been diagnosed with clinical depression. I take medication for it every day. It's mm -hmm. been almost 20 years now. A lot of people don't know that. And probably a lot of people listening to the podcast will find that surprising. But I will tell you that it was a tough road to accept yes. that I needed to seek help on it. Luckily, I had the support of my mother and my family. But in the South Asian community, I really do wonder, you know, why do we keep things so bottled in? Is it because we're so private that we don't feel like, or we don't want anyone to think that we are weak? And so we just don't talk about it. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's so important yeah, that yeah. you're sharing what you've gone through and you're still going through and you've gotten help for it, which is incredible. Because I think that's the first sort of step of sort of breaking the stigma of mental illness is what we're doing right now is talking about and trying to normalize it because not many people do that. I mean, I'm very sort of forthcoming with a lot of my friends and my family that I was in therapy too, because I just think it's a, like, you know, you're going to your doctor for your regular general visit, or if you're seeing a specialist, a lot of times, you know, there's no reason to hide those things. At least I don't think, so I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I'm, you know, once again, thank you for sharing that for South Asian culture. I can just speak on behalf of me first, how I sort of see it. You know, when you think of first generation South Asians, you know, they really struggle with their sense of identity. You're really trying to balance sort of the Western culture, which focuses on individualism, right? And then you have South Asian culture, which sort of takes a very sort of collectivist approach where, you know, your sense of identity and purpose is very much tied to your family and your community, right? You focus on we rather than I. And this is very different from Western society, right? Which they really value individualism. You're focused on yourself. You're pushed to be as much of an individual as you possibly can be and to get some sort of independence in your life, which is different from like my parents, right? Like I, I still <laughs> am at home most of the time compared to a lot of my other friends who are, you know, at the age of 18 left or after college, got their own apartment or living their own lives. So it's this balance that you're always trying to achieve. And I think when you were talking about, you know, how difficult it is sort of expressing emotions, I think that really much then ties back to the collectivist approach where, you know, when you see yourself, you see yourself as your family, right? And if you have a problem, you just don't think, but how is this problem going to affect me? You're going to think, but how is this problem going to affect my whole family? And of course, South Asians already have sort of stigma around mental illness. So if you're thinking that you're struggling, you might struggling because you're fearful of how people not just view you, but view your family. And that's what I see with a lot of the patients that 
come to see me is that they're really struggling because, you know, it's not just affecting me. It's how is it going to affect my whole family? And what are people going to say? And it's so sad in a moment of extreme crisis and vulnerability, you know, where you should be seeking help. You're more, you're, you've been sort of conditioned to think about what other people are going to say about you. Um, and I think, I think most South Asians can agree with that or have some sort of experience with this. Yeah. And it's not just a mental illness, right? Like when it comes to like marriage or getting a job, like you're always concerned about what other people are going to say, like, why are you still single? Why aren't you married yet? Or people asking very probing questions or when it comes to, you know, deciding what career to take. Of course, I did the prequel thing and became a doctor. <laughs> a lot of my friends who aren't in a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, like they really do feel that like people are, you know, asking their parents, like, why did you take this route? Is this okay? It's a sort of level of, of being a little uncomfortable. Um, but I'm always proud of them because I'm like, you did, you did something different. <laughs> How do we break the stigma? Yeah, I, what we're doing right now, talking about it, right? I think, you know, discussing it and letting other people know that this is something that's happening and just really normalizing it. And I also think people who are now, you know, at that age where they're, you know, wanting to have children, I think from a very young age, one of the most important things you can do is help children become very comfortable with expressing their emotion and helping kids identify emotions. Because I think that's something that I struggled with growing up is really trying to identify what emotion I was experiencing. Because you're always kind of cut off from, you know, if you do something bad, they just kind of reprimand you and not really sort of like dig into why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and acting out because of the way that you're feeling. So I think from a young age, kids have been conditioned, at least I could speak for me, to not really express my emotions. So I see it very differently now with my sister and the way that she raises her children, sit down with them understand where they're coming from, help them identify what emotion that they're going through, and to be very sort of supportive. So I hope this new generation of, or second generation of Indian Americans will sort of not have as much stigma regarding mental illness and being able to really express their emotions the way that they should be able to. It's a tough balance because we want that high mentality, but mm -hmm. still we have such a rich culture we don't want to lose that either, right? You yeah, still want yeah. your kids and your grandkids to have the family values. Mm -hmm. So while you want them to have the I thing, it can't be only all I. Right. It has to be a little bit of we still. So it's it's a tough position and a tough it, it, thing to balance. Yeah, totally. It's all about balance, right? And it's hard to sort of reach a healthy balance between the two. I think that's where a lot of people struggle. And some people do it perfectly well and they're doing a great job, but some people need a little bit more help because you're not really sure what to give more weight to, right? Are you really trying to blend more into Western society or really trying to focus a bit more on sort of your roots? And it's hard. I was just going to say one thing that I found when I was struggling was some people would say, oh, you need a bit a dose of vitamin G. And I didn't understand what that meant. Vitamin G meant they need you need a dose of God, G, meaning God, oh. and that you need some spiritual enlightenment or go to the temple more, seek guidance from God. What they didn't understand was, I. it's not that I'm not, I'm not an atheist or anything like that. Even if it was, it doesn't really matter. But those feelings of depression and um, anxiety or whatever you're feeling, they're beyond that. You could sit in a temple all day praying, but you're, you, that's not going to cure you. You need to see an actual doctor to see what is going on internally within yourself. The feeling of, like you said, you know, not wanting to wake up in the morning or get on with your normal daily routine is not something that's going to be fixed by praying. It might yeah. a little bit, but it's not <laughs> going to help you. So people were saying that in a nice way to me, maybe, 
but I realized that is not the answer to anyone's problems who's suffering from mental disorder or depression. So I just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> no, I think that's that's super important. I think people, I, culturally, I think there sometimes there's this sort of idea that, you know, it's just like, they'll get over it. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that serious. Like, you know, just like go out a little bit more or yeah. do this or do that. And it, it's not, not that easy. I mean, unless you've experienced depression, it's really hard to really understand what it's like. That sort of, like you described, for some, like that sort of dread of just waking up in the morning, it's not going to be cured by just going to the temple or the Monday. Like you, exactly. you know, it, it, you sometimes you do need that sort of professional help, and that's okay, and it's it's very helpful. Sandra, I have a question for you. So you did sure. say that usually family members or friends can recognize something different going on, you know, with not taking a shower, not eating well, distancing themselves. That person doesn't realize he or she mm -hmm. might have depression but you're seeing a difference how do you help that person yeah yeah I, th I think I think for most people it's really difficult to see your loved ones when they're suffering and sometimes you don't really know what's the best thing you can do to support them like you know when you talk about a medical illness if your friend or your family member is having chest pain or they break their arm you know exactly what mm -hmm. to do right you take them to the urgent care of the hospital and you know it, it's it's pretty clear cut <laughs> yeah. um I think one of the hardest parts when you're dealing with mental illness is sort of first starting that conversation, right? You you want to kind of want to go there and try your best to really express your concerns and be willing to listen and really be there for the person. Um, I always recommend using sort of the I statements whenever you're talking to someone who you feel like might be struggling with mental health issues, like, you know, I'm worried about you or you know, I think maybe you can consider talking to someone rather than, you know, you're doing this or you should do that. And it's just, you know, as difficult it is for you to have a conversation, just imagine how difficult it is for the person or your loved one who's really struggling and not sure how to cope. I just initially just recommend really listening to their thoughts, their feelings come from a very sort of non-judgmental approach. And a lot of things, you know, you might get there, you might be able to speak with them and they might be able to acknowledge that, you know, they are struggling. But then comes the sort of fear of speaking with a psychiatrist or a therapist mm -hmm. because of all these sort of ideas that, you know, I might be crazy if I have to speak to a psychiatrist, which a lot of my patients come to me with, um, or they want their family members to speak to me, but there's this sort of fear of they're going to speak to me, they're going to be committed to, you know, a psychiatric hospital or something like that. Um, so in that situation, I always recommend to speak to the primary medical doctor because they're really good at being able to assess for, you know, mental disorders. And usually patients have a, sort of a good therapeutic relationship with their primary medical doctor. So they're not going to be scared. And I always recommend having the friend or family member also accompany them to that appointment, just so you can also speak to the doctor and let them know what you're noticing. A lot of times, um, the person who's going through what they're going through isn't aware of some of the things that they're doing or the way that they're behaving and it's always helpful especially for the doctors even when I'm seeing someone to really have the family member really come there and let me know what's happening because a lot of times the patients themselves aren't too sure and and I will add I think another part is especially for parents if your kids um, are asking for help just be very open-minded I think especially for many parents and South Asian parents in particular they see any sort of mental illness that their child is going through as a reflection on the parents themselves put all the blame on themselves as if I did something for my child to be like this and that's not always the case it's a very hard thing for your, your child to be going through and to really be coming to you asking for help um, so really just validate them and really be supportive for them um, 
because, you know, I understand everyone as a family suffers when someone is going through even a medical disorder, but especially sort of mental disorder. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the family as a whole needs to work together. And, you know, another thing I would recommend is family members to um, join a support group because it can be very sort of uh, a very helpful experience. And I know you could always go to, I think, NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. They have a whole bunch of resources. So definitely check them out if that's something you're interested in. Or they can call Dr. Sagar Joshi at his private <laughs> practice. <laughs> thank, thank you for the plug. I appreciate yes. it. <laughs> wow, there's just so much to discuss and we could go on forever, but we're going to run out of time, Sagar. So we definitely would love to have you come back again and um, discuss so many other topics. Maybe next time focus on women's mental illnesses and the specifics on that subject. So um, listeners, stay tuned, more to come. Thank you, Sagar. Of course, thank you. This is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sagar, for your time. We really appreciated it. No, of course. And thank you for sharing your story. I think that's gonna really resonate with a lot I of I know, viewers. virtual hug so, from me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we just want the listeners to please reach out to us um, if you have any comments or suggestions for our episodes. And um, you can always email us at chitchatandchai1 at gmail.com. Till we meet again, remember life is not short. Life is unpredictable. So always, always strive to stay happy. And add a little spice to your life. And join us again for a little chit chat and chat. <laughs>